0: Fitness Podcast. I'm Amber Sobrio-Ritter, your host. I am a personal trainer, behavior analyst, and mom of three living in the Bay Area, California. And this podcast is focused on helping you live a more values-based life, not only to identify your values, but then to identify goals and effective systems to be able to move towards those goals in a way that feels pretty effortless. And that's what we've been focusing on the last couple of weeks is systems work. Just to recap, systems are the processes by which you are able to move towards your goals. So how do you create an environment that supports your goals? How do you manipulate all of these different cues around you, all of these different factors in your life? How do you manipulate them so that they essentially support you in your goals and help you move towards them instead of us having to dig in and find some superior willpower to overcome our environment we are creating an environment that really supports behavior that we want to increase in our lives or to decrease behavior that is not helping us move in line with our goals so we have a couple more episodes on this i'm going to do today and then i'm going to do next week one more on systems and then we're going to move on and we're going to talk about some different things so Today we're really gonna start by talking about cues. So cues or like in the behavioral field, we call these antecedents. What this means is this is something that pops up in your environment that can trigger a behavior or can evoke a behavior. Anytime we engage in a behavior, it's because there was some antecedent present and the antecedent or the cue could be inside of your head or it could be external, right? Internal or external. If I see a piece of candy on the counter and I engage in the behavior of eating it, that's an external cue, it was in within my visual field. An internal cue might be that I remember to call my sister and then I engage in that behavior of calling my sister. So there are a lot of different things that affect our behavior and if we can adjust our cues to evoke the kinds of behavior that we wanna see or to decrease the kinds of behavior we do not wanna see, we don't wanna engage in as often, Seemingly, this should make our lives much easier, right? Cues can even be so powerful that they can reappear after many years. So, think about you grow up, you engage in certain behaviors while you're living at home with your parents, you move out, you mature, you become an adult. Suddenly, you're a different kind of person, right? If you're like me, you moved out and you became so evolved and self aware, and you're thinking, I'm amazing. I've done all the, the growth, the self growth. I, I'm not triggered by anything, right? I'm my highest self. And then I come back into contact with some of those same environments that have a really strong childhood learning history. And some of those same cues that are external, maybe cues that other people are behaviors, other people are engaging in. And suddenly hey, it evokes behaviors that I haven't seen in myself in a long time, right? It's hard to undo that long learning history and generalize all of these new skills to those old situations. Essentially, what I had done is I had removed myself from an environment where those cues were present without necessarily having generalized those skills to engage in those behaviors, even with those cues present, right? So when you get together with your family at the holidays, it's a new opportunity for you to generalize these new skills into these old situations and that's real progress right that's kind of how you track real growth is can the child engage in this behavior right if you're working as a BCBA or can I engage in this behavior in this more challenging environment right not where everything is really set up for me to be successful but even when it's not and then you can kind of measure your growth in that way. So in behavior analysis, we often start with the behavior with the shortest learning history first because every data point of someone engaging in a certain behavior strengthens it. So if I've been engaging in this behavior for a long time where I sit down on the couch and I watch TV and I eat food, whereas a new behavior is popping up that I started drinking a glass of wine every night, I might start, if I wanna decrease the behavior, I might start with the wine uh, because the learning history is shorter So the strength of the behavior is less, so I'm gonna see quicker progress right? in that specific domain. Same thing with children that we're working with, if you work with children. So behaviors that have been in rotation for a long time are already very strong. So ideally you start with new behaviors to keep them from strengthening, and then you return to older behaviors once those have been addressed. That's why when you are starting a fitness journey, sometimes a really great strategy is to start by working on something new Start by developing a new skill and then as you gain strength, as you gain momentum, as you gain a lot of positive reinforcement and and positive feelings about yourself like self-esteem, self-confidence, you can then generalize a lot of those same thoughts to this older situation that's really hard and tricky. So this is why kids are different with teachers than at home. This is why my behavior is better with new people out in the environment than at home. Um, it's easier to get along with a stranger than our partner sometimes. So when we're addressing long-standing behaviors, something to consider is that different setting events make the behavior more likely. So for example, when a stress ear is stressed and food is present, they are more likely to engage in that behavior. So a setting event is something that comes before the cue, before the antecedent. So a setting event can kind of prime you, right? It can kind of set you up to engage in this behavior. If I'm already having a really bad day and now I stub my toe, it's like I'm over the edge. You know, it's too it's too much. It's too far. It's like the last straw. And so the setting event was not only all of those things that happened earlier in the day, but just my general mood going into that stimulus of stubbing my toe. If a stress eater is not stressed... Even if the food is present, they're less likely to engage in eating. Uh, And the other thing is, let's say you can't remove stress from your invite. Let's say you can't remove stress from your life, but you are a stress eater. So one thing, just getting better at handling stress and doing all the work that will help with that, you know, that might be therapy, that might be taking care of yourself, setting boundaries, whatever that looks like for you. So you're acknowledging the stress. And then at the same time, you're acknowledging that at no point in your life are you going to be completely free of stress. And so you're going to need some other strategies to be successful that are going to help you even when you're stressed. So if you're not stressed, even if the food is present, you're not as likely to eat. And if you are stressed, but that food that is kind of like a really, really highly desired food is not present, obviously you're less likely to eat that food because it's not available. So sometimes when we use certain tactics to try and change our behavior, we can actually cause that behavior to increase or cause that behavior to happen more often. And one example of this is using like shame-based tactics to change your behavior. I think a lot of us have gotten into this mindset that the best way to change our behavior is just to bully yourself into it. If I beat myself up enough, if I talk badly enough to myself, eventually I'm gonna get so sick of it, I'm gonna be like, fine. I'm going to change my behavior and I'm going to do something different. So it's almost like you think that's a necessary component. But the reality is that using punishing tactics of shame or humiliation to change someone's behavior can actually increase the behavior you're trying to change because it puts them into the exact state that's likely to evoke the behavior. Let's say a teacher says something to the extent of you're not a good child or you're a bad kid or whatever. That child now feels more alienated more disconnected from the school environment, feels like he's being defined as a bad kid, and may self-identify with that. And once you identify as a bad kid, the next, the next natural conclusion of that is what kinds of behaviors does a quote-unquote bad kid engage in? Now you have an increase in those behaviors uh, because that child is really aligning their behavior even more so with the teacher's perception of them. Let's say you're trying to change your own behavior if you're a stress eater by verbally attacking yourself. So you're saying, gain so much weight, you're so ugly, you're not, you need to stop doing this, right? And you put yourself in a place where you feel so badly about yourself and you feel so much shame and self-loathing. What do you usually engage in? What behavior do you usually engage in when you're feeling sad, or stressed, or overwhelmed, or hopeless. You engage in the behavior of eating. So using a lot of negative self-talk to try and change your behavior is actually the opposite of what you need to do. It makes it harder to change your behavior. This is why punishment-based strategies are often wrong, not only because they can be harmful, but because they can also be ineffective. Uh, They can be effective in the short term. They can look effective. But the problem is that the long-term consequences of those are too significant to warrant the use of them this is often why popular weight loss programs don't work because they're too restrictive and cause stress which the person can tolerate for a short period of time but then the stress builds up because of the restrictive and rigid nature of the program causing them to reach for food to comfort and causing an increase in those behaviors without providing education around healthy and balanced nutrition habits So another example, when I was young and realized I was queer, my parents thought that shaming me would be an effective way to change me, but only resulted in me feeling completely disconnected and alienated from them, leading me to seek more connections with my friends and girlfriend at the time, leading me to feel like there was nobody else that understood me or that I felt emotionally safe with, except for my girlfriend at the time. So it's important that the response you identify to try and change a behavior does not then cause an increase in that behavior. And usually it's going to be punishment based strategies or shame based strategies that are going to have that negative effect. I mean, using shame and scare tactics as a way of trying to change behavior is really low hanging fruit. Like it appears attractive, it appears effective, but it doesn't actually teach skills And the mental health and like emotional and psychological repercussions of the use of those strategies is too profound to to warrant them a, a viable option. So some other examples. So if you hit your child for hitting their sibling, the problem with this, it models hitting, it doesn't teach coping mechanisms, it causes increased aggression and mental health problems in adulthood. Let's say you remove all treat foods from the house at times at all times to prevent binging behavior. It doesn't teach skills of moderation. It leads to binges when treat foods are available. Let's say you're nagging your partner because they're distant. It leads to increased distance because you're pairing your presence with aversive stimuli, right? the aversion of someone nagging them or or, or they perceive that they're being insulted. So you wanna be thoughtful about the protocols you're implementing or your efforts can have the opposite effect. So a really simple way that doesn't involve shame and doesn't involve punishment and doesn't involve any sort of aversive stimulus is just to reduce the cues that trigger the poor habits and or by creating environmental supports that make the good habit easier, the bad habit harder, and it helps the good habit stick for longer because it requires less effort. So in his book, Atomic Habits, James Clear talks about temptation bundling or as we call it in applied behavior analysis, stimulus-stimulus pairing. So what this means is that you take one behavior and you pair it with another. You can also take a stimulus and pair it with another. So for example, let's say I hate doing the dishes, so I want to pair the behavior of doing the dishes, which I don't want to do, with a positive stimulus of listening to music or a more enjoyable behavior of listening to music which I do want to do, right? I pair these together, and because I'm engaging in the desired behavior while I'm engaging in the undesired behavior, it makes the undesired behavior less aversive, right? It makes it a little bit easier. Uh, When people do group exercise classes, they're pairing social reinforcement with physical exertion, makes physical exertion less challenging or less aversive. Other examples would be watching TV while folding laundry, uh, prepping food while listening to a favorite podcast. Something else that I've been doing actually is taking an aversive stimulus like my kids fighting and pairing that with something positive like a mindfulness exercise. So my kids start fighting and as they're fighting, instead of immediately responding, I engage in a mindfulness exercise of taking 3D breaths and then I choose how to move forward after that, right? So I certainly don't look forward to my kids fighting, but it it provides a little moment of reconnection with myself, which is actually really pleasurable. And so it makes that slightly less aversive, right? The stimulus of them fighting slightly less aversive so that I'm able to approach and have a conversation with them in a more balanced way and a more calm way. My nervous system has not been dysregulated or or has not been triggered to the point that I'm unable to do that because I engaged in that mindfulness exercise. So think about something that you don't want to do just right now. This can be fitness related. This can be health related. This can be parenthood related, work related, anything you don't want to do. How can you take something that you do want, that you enjoy, uh, that you do like to do? How can you pair these two things together? I like to go to the beach. If you live in California or you live on a coast, you live somewhere that you have beach access, or even if you live near a lake or some beautiful park, can I go to that place and can I write my report there? Right, to make this a little bit more enjoyable. Can I have that hard conversation, but in my therapist's beautiful office with them facilitating, and I find them to be very reinforcing and super safe? Now, can I bring this person that I've been having a hard time with? Can we have that conversation in this space? talking to my therapist something I want to do, talking to my partner something I need to do and I have to do. Can I combine these together? Can I cook food while I am dancing to my favorite music? So really just think about a behavior that you want to engage in and a behavior that you have to engage in and see if there's a way to pair those two things together. So another thing to consider and another adjustment that you can make to your environment is that the closer that you are to someone the more likely you are to imitate their habits. And it reminds me of a saying, uh, if the five people closest to you don't help you level up, you're not in a circle, you're in a cage. And I know some motivational speakers have talked about, you are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. So even if that's not a hard scientific truth, it's clear that those in your environment will expose you to cues that can evoke a positive or negative habit behavior and that choosing people who have similar goals can reduce the resistance of change by kind of diffusing the responsibility of that positive behavior across many people instead of just one, they can also evoke cues or they can present cues that are going to evoke really positive behavior, uh, which is super helpful because it's not going to expose you to unnecessary temptation or some of those other behaviors that you are not wanting to engage in. In this way, peer pressure can be a good thing because it helps you identify as the kind of person that would engage in X or Y behavior. Instead of saying, I'm Amber and I lift weights, I'm saying, I'm a weightlifter. So it's a part of my identity. And when it's a part of my identity, I engage in the behavior more easily because it's just who I am. If changing habits means challenging the tribe, then change is not only unattractive, but it's more difficult. So when change means conforming, to what other people are doing. It's not only easy, but it's attractive, right? You wanna be a part of the group. You wanna do what other people are doing. It's essentially effortless too. So you want to join a culture where the desired behavior is the norm. And this might mean choosing a group exercise class, making new friends, interested in fitness, dating partners or recruiting people to join on the journey if they're interested. So I think the important thing to recognize here is that your progress isn't the responsibility of somebody else. So let's say you're with a partner who does not have the same goals and you're really trying to engage in different sorts of behavior. That partner is going to continue living their lives in a way that might cue old habits for you that you'd no longer want to engage in. So just having some strategies around that is going to be super helpful and super important so that you don't start to resent that person and place your own progress on their shoulders, right? Like it's your responsibility and figuring out how to be successful within that potential limitation is totally possible. And you might need a little bit of support or creativity around it, but absolutely doable. So just as a little plug, I'm in the Bay Area and I started a Facebook group called Bay Area Strong Moms. And It's really just friends uh, and a place where moms can say, hey, I've been wanting to try this yoga class. Does anyone want to go? Or I want to go for a hike this weekend. Does anybody want to go? And Making sure that people have access to others who are on the same sort of journey and have the same kind of interests. So something like this, you could even post on, you know, Facebook. You could post on Instagram. You could post on Nextdoor and say, hey, I'm really looking for a a friend to be able to do this with. Is anyone interested? Or, you know, reach out and make friends who are kind of like-minded and seeking the same sorts of things. And this is a really helpful way to not only pair pleasant social interactions with an aversive stimulus, physical exertion, but also to surround yourself with people who are going to be a cue that's going to push you in the direction of your desired behaviors. So another part of systems work is employing a longer gap between the stimulus you're experiencing and the response that you engage in. So an example of a stimulus might be the kids are arguing. Can you just see how this is like one of my regular examples? This is this is like the water I'm swimming in right now. Or I walk in and I see that my house is messy or my boss emails that I made a mistake. So examples of responses, right? Those are stimuli, all of them aversive. Examples of responses might be, I drink a glass of wine, um, I eat a donut, I meditate for five minutes, I take a little break and uh, step outside of the house. Without adequate space between the stimulus and the response, there's no time to engage in a mindful reflection that would prompt you towards a self-led solution. So what that means is that you're likely to engage in the habit that is A, the most developed, so your knee-jerk response potentially that you learned from your childhood, and B, the response that is most available uh, or easiest to access. So it could be like, what's in the cupboard? What's within my visual field? A craving or desire functions as a potential solution to some perceived problem. If you have anxiety and discomfort in your body, your body wants to seek a solution in the form of comfort, maybe unhealthy food in your visual field, and then you're engaging in the unhealthy behavior of binge eating. If your body is experiencing an aversive internal stimulus of anger and your kids come into your visual field, you might revert to a knee-jerk behavior that you were, may have been raised with and yell at your kids. It's absolutely true that in the moment you are acting, your body perceives that it needs something, but often the solution we employ has nothing to actually do with the problem at hand. So when you feel stress in your body and you can take the time to go inside yourself mindfully to really connect with what you need in that moment, it's often going to be a few minutes of stillness, quiet, a break, a short nap, a glass of water, a healthy snack, maybe a conversation to set a boundary, a conversation to clear something up or fix an issue. And in our society, we really haven't been taught to go inside of ourselves for information, but to look at what everyone else is doing and to engage in the habit that's supported by our environment, to do whatever's required in order to keep showing up in the ways that we are quote unquote supposed to. So the first rule of self-care is learning how to be self-led enough to know what types of care you actually need. Self-care is not just engaging in whatever generic care behaviors are defined by others, but what do you actually need? So for me, I need a lot of alone time. I need a lot of processing time. I need super clear boundaries. I need usually to make sure I'm hydrated. I have to have food prepped. So Glennon Doyle, for those of you that are familiar, if you're not familiar, she's a writer. And she calls those knee-jerk responses easy buttons because they're gonna provide a quick hit of dopamine and they're easily accessible and usually they're supported by our society. So like social media scrolling, alcohol consumption, uh, processed food consumption. Whereas reset buttons, right? the, The buttons that are actually going to be restorative are what's really needed in the moment but are not readily taught may not be easily available that's our goal with systems work is to make those things more available and they will probably require more work to create a long-term habit and the bad news about creating a long-term habit is that it's going to feel really hard at first because you're forming a new neural pathway which is effortful compared to the neural pathway that's already been established so It helps to remind yourself that it's going to be hard at first because you don't go into it thinking that it should be different. You know it's going to be challenging and acknowledging that on the front end can prime you to accept the discomfort that it is inevitably going to arise. Another strategy is to take an aversive stimulus and reframe it so that it is potentially less aversive or even pleasant so instead of thinking to yourself I have to go work out I have to exercise you're focused on the benefits so you're telling yourself I get to go exercise I get to take care of myself I get to move my body and I'm so thankful that my body is so capable I want to care for myself right now what do I really need what do I really deserve I think often if we have something in our visual field, right? We have a cue pop up. We have a, a treat, a delicious brownie pop up in our visual field, in the break room at work or on my counter at home. And I think, oh, I want to eat that, right? It's sounding good. And then the next thought I have is maybe I shouldn't. not That's that's not, That's not going to fuel the workout that I'm about to do. And then the next thought is I deserve it. And it's interesting that we tell ourselves that we deserve something as some sort of justification for engaging in that behavior. You deserve it. What does that mean, to deserve something? That you get to have it. You worked hard and now you get to have it. And I think that it's important to remember that what you actually deserve is way more than that. It's way better than that. Right? If what you actually need requires more than just calories... You deserve that. If you need a break, if you need a boundary, a nap, a rest, a well-fueled body, a decent meal, um, a workout, some fresh air, meditation, if you need something like that, that's what you deserve. It's funny how we tell ourselves, I deserve this thing, like a treat, almost as if it's some sort of like compliment or assertion of our worth, when actually what we're doing is selling ourselves short. Like, really? That's what you deserve? That's all you deserve? You know, at night sometimes when I want to be done working, but I have more than I want to get done, I do this exact thing where it's like, I've been working really hard. I deserve to have this treat. What I really deserve is just to go to bed. That's what I want. I'm feeling discomfort in my body, right? I'm having this, this anxiety response in my body that now prompts me or primes me to seek comfort because i really just need to go to sleep i need rest and instead of giving myself rest it's like here's this consolation prize you can eat you know a handful of chocolate chips or whatever so i think it's important to not only reframe the aversive stimuli in our life to try and make them more pleasant but also reframe those things that appear to be more desirable but actually aren't it's not that a brownie isn't delicious And that sometimes you shouldn't have one if it sounds good. Absolutely, you should. But is that the thing that you really deserve in this moment? If you're at Tartine, which is like arguably one of the most amazing pastry bakeries in the United States, yeah, like you deserve to get a croissant. This is Tartine, people. But if what you need is just to ask your partner for a rest because you're exhausted, that's the thing you deserve. Not, I'm going to you know, shove a handful of chocolate in my mouth and then just continue on as normal, ignoring my needs, ignoring the cues that tell me I'm, I've gone too far, I've gone past the point of health. That's a way of turning off the fire alarm without putting out the fire, right? Okay, here's a quick hit of dopamine, now continue on with, what you're li- with, with your life that's not working for you, such that you need more and more and more hits of dopamine to be able to sustain it. What you deserve is better than that. Right? So think about that and, and mindfully reflect on that. What do I really deserve? And that's only a question you can answer. That's not my job with my clients. They determine. You know, if they say I worked hard, so I deserve this brownie, sometimes for sure. But is there anything that you're not giving yourself and you're using the brownie as an excuse to look at it? So next week we're going to talk about behavior chaining and making undesired behaviors less available. And that is really going to wrap up our series on systems work. So this week, I really want you to go out. I want you to reflect on what do I need? What do I deserve? How can I make the things that I don't like to do more pleasurable by pairing them with something that I want to do, by something that I enjoy doing? How can I reframe things that I don't like to do so that I'm viewing them through this really positive lens of all of the benefits, everything I'm going to access by engaging in this behavior? Uh, How can I look at behaviors that are maybe less desirable and talk to myself about what I'm not going to be able to access if I engage in that behavior? As we're getting into the new year, we're getting close to the new year, just recognizing that building this new habit is going to be challenging. It's going to take time. Prime yourself with that reality so that you don't give up and fall off after a few weeks try to surround yourself with people who are going to be a cue to evoke the behaviors you want to engage in that are going to be a support in that way and try to reduce the cues that are going to trigger poor habits right try to embody the mindset of being the person not i'm a person who eats healthy but i'm a healthy eater Not I'm a person who lifts weights. I'm a weightlifter. Really embody this as who you are. What would somebody who is this thing, what would they do? So one way that I have done this in the past for myself and my clients is it's really hard as moms uh, to care for ourselves. And yet it's very easy for us to suggest other people do so. So maybe instead of talking to yourself about how you need to care for yourself and all of the things you need to change and how you need to love yourself maybe just start by saying what would somebody who loves themselves do right now what would somebody who loves themselves think right now what behaviors would they engage in what would they give to themselves what do they deserve right what would I tell my child to do for himself what would I tell my best friend to do for herself what would I tell my sister to do for herself So instead of thinking I'm a person that engages in behaviors to show love to myself, thinking I love myself. I'm a person who loves myself. And even if you're not there yet, thinking what would someone who loves themselves do right now? How would they respond in this situation? What behaviors would they engage in? How would they take care of themselves to show that love? That's the person that you are becoming That's what you want to embody. And sometimes that's a starting point to be able to do it. So go out, implement some some of these solutions. Have an amazing week. And as always, thank you so much for listening. If you can leave a review, if you felt this to be helpful, if you can share it with your friends and family, I would love for other people to be able to use this information and live a life that's even more meaningful for them engage in behavior that's more effective for them so please feel free to share and spread the word and have an awesome week look forward to seeing you next week bye